RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, it's Friday morning. Again, it comes around quick, and that, of course, is the morning for our political panel here at RCR. I want to welcome, in descending order of who I can see, Marie Buskey. Hi, Marie. Good morning. Me, because I'm next. Cam Slater. Hi, Cam. Good morning. Marty Gibson. Hey, Marty. How are you doing, Paul? Good morning. I'm very good. I'm feeling good. Out of the 50s now, into the 60s. Whoa. Sexy 60s, eh? Is that what they say? They say if you can remember your 60s, or you remember the 60s, you weren't there, so. I can remember the 60s, but I was, you know, just a boy. Mm. Remember the Wahini, 68, April 10th. I thought you were talking about your first girlfriend there. (laughs) (laughs) Had a few Wahinis along the way. Apparently it was bad luck to name a ship. You know, give a female Maori name to a ship. Right. And I think three Wahinis have sunk. So it's probably why we haven't had a fourth. Okay. Let's get into it. Okay. A couple of media stories first, uh, of which you are mentioned in one, Cam, I see, in the spinoff. Yeah. Um, A story about the fringe right. I didn't realize we were part of the fringe right. That's a new one on me. Yeah, well, I don't consider myself to be right-wing anymore. I consider myself to be a nationalist yeah, uh, rather than a globalist. And this right-wing and left-wing nonsense uh, seems to persist in political debate at the moment. And, um, you know, it's kind of over. But, yeah, it's interesting. It's an article by Toby Manhire, whose single claim to fame is his famous dad. Um, and you know, he likes scribbling diagrams for Susie Wiles, um, you know, utterances, you know, cartoons and things like that. But um, it's interesting though because it was the spin-off, and they they've um, you know lifted some photos uh, or stills out of the video from the only interview that Winston Peters has given to any media uh, since the election. And here we are nearly two weeks later, and there's still no other interviews other than that one. Well, I see Plunkett's claiming that he's got the first one post-election. <laughs> well, it's too late. I've already well, done he's it. Been, he's been in his bed for the last week. He's obviously not been aware of what's going on. No, that's right. You know, that, Those vaccine injuries are starting to hurt him badly now. But they got quite a good shot of you in there um, with you um, at the table, um, Winston. One with you smiling, but I think a later one with you looking pretty pretty serious like you know you're doing the business well i was doing the business See, all the other media were down at the party drinking up large and eating the hungy and uh, i was getting an interview so um you know i was i, I got a, a leap a leap on them and uh, they could have followed me down the road if they wanted to you know david fisher was too busy in his salmon uh jacket uh you know shoving the two or two of fritters into his gob of gay abandon okay. um you know <laughs> But uh, you know, they, they missed the point on everything, um, the spin-off, you know. And the funny thing was, uh, Duncan Grieve, the founder of the spin-off and some whatever he is now, I think he's got a roving editor or some sort of fancy name, which means no, not in charge anymore. Um, he turned up really late on election day and um, they had security in place stopping people coming in. Uh, into the Duke uh, at Russell, and uh, he was stopped. And they said, oh, no, no, you can't come in. And he was going, I'm media, I'm media, I'm the spin-off. And this old guy who was doing the security said, well, I've never heard of you. <laughs> and um, it was actually me who got him in there and showed him where the media room was. And uh, he came up to me about 30 minutes later, 
and profusely apologized for not recognizing me and um and you know treating me like I was some sort of help. Um, and you took a couple of photos, asked me a few questions, and then went on with the night. And I, I just, yeah, I thought that was good. kind of funny, <laughs> little okay. funny story to share. He, with he didn't say, "Do you know who I am?" I never do that at the door. Everybody no, not you, but him, him. You know. Well, nobody knows what she, what Duncan <laughs> Grieve looks like. I mean, you know, he's got a body like a half suck throaty and a demeanor that matches it. So, I mean, he's, the, in, he's inoffensive. Thing. He's inoffensive. <laughs> Part of the thing with that article I found was is that still sighing disbelief that New Zealand first got six and a half percent and they still can't really quite figure out how that happened. It's a well, they, they, they've used the quote. It? They've used the quote from Winston saying, "Thanks to Reality Check Radio." Yeah. Hello, yeah. but but you know, if we look at the media coverage since the election, there's this utter disbelief that their their team got voted out. And, and you know, Tover O'Brien's comments were the most classic, which is who would have seen this coming? Well, you know, quite a few of us saw it coming. You know, yeah. that, they're that like a big the, freight train coming down the track with its big light on, making a huge noise <laughs> and the ground exactly, rumbling in front of it. That's exactly right. And it just shows how out of touch, totally out of touch the mainstream media and the bubble that they exist in that's been inflated with hot air from firstly Ardern and then Hipkins regime and the copious amounts of filthy lucre that have dropped into their lap uh, meant that they took their eyes off the ball. And here's a, here's a butthurt moment for them. We, us, we seem to have moved the needle a bit. Well, I mean, they're trying to tie the millstone of Liz Gunn's histrionics around our neck. I noticed it a lot of that article. It was it was kind of a fair bit of guilt by association. And they sort of tried to have a bob each way, you know, quoting her as saying it was disgraceful how little coverage we gave her. They did say, well, you know, Reality Check Radio categorically denied this. But, yeah, there, there's, a, there, there's a strong guilt by association. Did the spinoff give any coverage to her? No. So that's the thing. They point the finger at, at Reality Check Radio, but they don't look at themselves and what coverage they did. And all they did was, uh, you know, to push their green, you know, woke womble agenda. But it didn't work, did it? Well, it and, did and in Wellington. I, well, yeah. okay, unfortunately. But the point I was making is it must be hard for them to accept that um, – in just a matter of months, someone's come along and moved the needle. I mean, it's Ooh. always the echo of Katie Bradford's, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, the polls don't change. It's the same It's the same uh, brand of just outraged, narcissistic uh, self-belief. In she hasn't book. changed a bit. You know, she was doing election coverage uh, you know, for the TV uh, during this election campaign. And uh, I uncharitably called her Jiggles many years ago and because she just wobbles whenever she talks, you know. But if it's not her head, it's her shoulders. If it's not her shoulders, um, it's her arms or her entire body just, you know, wobbles and jiggles about as she utters utter inanities. I mean, there's no depth to these uh, talking heads uh, either you know on the radio, on the TV, or even in the press gallery, there's very, very few uh, sensible, 
qualified, rational journalists who call things as they are in the press gallery. You know, and you can actually count them on the fingers of one hand. Maybe even you know, if you had you know a, a birth defect and only had three fingers, <laughs> that bad. All well, right. The the challenge for Reality Check Radio is is to maintain the moral high ground in the sense that you know not to have too much Schadenfreude as uh, the mainstream media collapses and it is collapsing. We don't need to say "I told you so." We know, so we don't we don't need to say they know. That. They know too that we're hurting them because why else would they be setting up things to com- compete with us? You know, um, NZME set up their their little thing with an app. Uh, not sure how successful it's going to be. Some of the people that are writing for that are pretty good people, um, but I just don't think that the organisation that they're now working for understands the environment and the necessity to build communities of interest. And that's what we do really, really well that nobody else does. It's something that I've been doing for 20 years uh, it's something that uh, the Overladies have built successfully out of Voices for Freedom, this community of interest. Uh, and that engenders loyalty far more than giving yourself a name that says loyal and then calling yourself loyalists, right? You, we've created this, this nice place where we can delve into very difficult issues, but in a compassionate and understanding way that it elicits the information that the listeners are craving and our success and what we're doing in, in that space is, is the proof. Then so, there's the project. Yeah. And the project is interesting because Warner discovery, you knew that they were only biding their time. I mean, as soon as Warner discovery took over TV three, there was already going to be cuts. And uh, with the day job, I actually do a bit of advertising on the app sort of once or twice a year. So I have got a contact there. And when the merger, well, when the purchase happened, there was already a slimming down of, you know, back office and, and tightening things up. And there was, there's been a frizz on that's it's going to continue. And the project, I think, is one of those, because, I mean, that is a franchise-based show, so there will be fees and stuff attached to Road that. Road McManus's show, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the other thing with all of these personalities and all of these shows is a lot of those shows were cr- created around the personalities because they're cheap to produce. I mean, you know, what, what personalities? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, all of those hosts, I mean, you can tell that they're just issuing rehearsed lines. Jesse's a nice man. Come on, Cam. Jesse's well, a nice man. Well, he might be nice, but he doesn't have a personality. I mean, it's not news. It's. It's not even once over lightly warmed up news. Often the things that they cover in that are three to four days old. Yeah. You know, and you think, well, why do you bother? And they sit there with these cheesy, rehearsed, crappy jokes, the ones that probably didn't pass muster for that other show on TV3. Seven days. Seven days, which is yawn-inducing now, um, because they just recycle the same jokes and the same personalities and, and, do, and do they have a button that they push that that tells the audience when to laugh right is that what happens well i don't know but they, they're distinctly unfunny people um yeah. you know and it, it was just woke and wet and pointless and the audience numbers show that people mm. aren't interested in it. it's like mm, change the channel i'd rather watch um 
country calendar or, you know, sheep herding or something like that. Well, there's going to be so many of these sort of journalist sort of PR presenting types now that are going to have a bit of time on their hands because a lot of them that were sort of culled out when the commercial reality was starting to bite pre-COVID got culled out from these places and ended up in spin departments within the beehive. So they moved from one sort of um, woke employer to another. And if Luxon does what he says and trims his 6.5, what is it, 6.5% out of the public service uh, budget and he's not looking at core services, well, I tell you what, all those P, you know, PR and press teams is not core services. I mean, how many have they got in Waka Kotahi alone? Hundreds of them. Yeah, I think, uh, I've said it before, I think I said it on this show last week, let's have a good old-fashioned Roman decimation of the civil service. And then when we finish that, if morale still hasn't improved and quality hasn't improved, we'll do it again until morale and quality does improve. What what could replace the project, Marty? <laughs> A talking rubbish bin? Yeah. Well, Quite right. I, I, I suggested on Facebook, which didn't elicit a positive response, that uh, we could make a show called Quite Right, which is uh, a, a pro-freedom, uh, more freedom and less government um, uh, balance to the rest of television. <laughs> uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you think, what, what shows are there on TV that, that do have that orientation. There's none. And I I think that's probably part of the reason that Reality Check Radio has been able to enjoy the success it has. It is because listening to it, your, your preconceptions that you might have about it from what these guys are writing about it don't survive half an hour of listening to it. Wouldn't it be so nice to see a show like The Outsiders on Sky News Australia on one of our legacy channels? I mean, wouldn't that be so refreshing, I think, for New Zealand? Who could front that, though? There's no one in the mainstream talent pool without them having a some kind of epiphany or if it's to be real. I reckon, anyway. Ryan, I reckon Ryan Bridge could take it off. He's yeah. already in the, under the Warner tent. What do Maybe you think? Maybe we should do a New Zealand on air application. Oh, how far do you think that'll get, Marty? Well, let's see. <laughs> could be in a, you're, you're, you're talking to, to Whenua, aren't you, Marty? No, I'm I'm not, but Maria's. I am. We'll get Marie to front it. Easy. She'll need a, a bigger soap on the rope. <laughs> oh gosh, that's so bad. Look, I it's so funny now. You know, you have these woke tropes, right? I I mean, the thing about people that like to play in the critical social justice camp is they're generally fairly easy to identify. So you think lots of piercing tattoos, um, hairy armpits, blue hair, um, sort of Dungarees. the look of angry outrage. So that's what you have generally with uh, those of the more Caucasian persuasion. But if you want to find a woke Māori social justice warrior, it it's directly correlate to the size of the piece of pornamu that they wear around their neck. The bigger the pornamu, the woker they are. It's quite a simple measure. I find it very accurate. Yeah, um, Rawari Waititi's got a massive chunk that he dangles. I mean, it must throw his neck out. Who's the Sustainability Council guy? Rod Carr, is it? Professor Carr? He's well, he's got one of those unkempt beards as well. Yeah, but he's got a huge polnamu. I worry for his neck. You know, what it does to the muscles of your wo- neck. Very wobbly neck. 
Yeah, he probably only uses it, um, you know, when he's out in public. Okay, so um, do you think, uh, given that media works, it's the other media story has possibly been trading while insolvent? Did we see? Did we notice that story? Yeah, I mentioned it briefly with Marty on uh, Wednesday, and yeah, it's not not a flash place to be fair. And I mean, they've been, I mean, all these companies have been limping along for years. They got the lifeline with the Public Interest Journalism Fund and all that full rack rate advertising with COVID. Well, you know, the suckling of that tit has now ended. They, there is nothing left for them, and. What you're going to be left oh, no, with no, is no, the fragilities. There is, is Marie. There's plenty left for them. And this is this is the problem. If you listen to any news channel, any radio station that's owned by the two big firms, NZME or MediaWorks, almost entirely the advertising that is on those stations is government departments advertising, whether it's the police trying to um, you know uh, save people from speeding or whatever this is wasteful spending in the order of millions of dollars you know vaccine uh advertisements for um for whooping cough at the moment for shingles for it's just this massive river of money that's coming out of government departments and like if luxon had half a brain which i'm not sure he does but if he did he should channel winston get around a table and then come up with a media Utu policy and say, look, we're going to put all government advertising on, on a moratorium for at least six months till we work out what's going on. And then they'll decide whether something's in the public interest, in which case they can say to the uh, media companies, well, you have to carry that advertising free of charge because it's public interest. Well, they so used, you, that's how it used to work, though, yeah. back in the day. I mean, I remember Just with agency them of money. Yeah, the agency ads would come in, and you'd remember this, Paul, the agency stuff would come in, and nine times out of ten, it was zero rated, which when you were selling advertising like me, used to you off no end at the free stuff that was coming in from those bodies, but in the the interest, the public interest. So that's how it used to work. So go back to that and and starve them of... They won't last long. So they they disappear. I mean, I actually want them to tip over and disappear because then what will happen in nature abhors a vacuum you'll start to get people who realize okay we actually need to listen to our audience we actually need to uh, actually understand what the audience is and now we're going to create shows and programs and and uh, news that consumers want well here's the other thing all the transmission uh, facilities provided for terrestrial broadcasting are through government company Cordia mm. now they will go under too. What a shame. You know, here's a, I mean, I live in an apartment, right? Uh, we've got aerials uh, and dishes and everything wired in here, but I'm not connected to any of that. If I want to watch terrestrial TV, I just stream Freeview from over, well, that's over, over, my, yeah. over my broadband, right? So that just completely avoids Cordia and all of their rapacious... Uh, monopolistic, uh, extortionate fees because I'm using my own broadband. Yeah, so it might be, I guess the point I was making, it might be in the interests of a government to keep the sector kind of, you know, alive CPR so they can still get something for their frequencies. You still get cracked ribs, though, from CPR. 
Okay. All right. So that's the state of the media. Um, let's um, get more into, you know, the that's politics, but more into politics. What's this about um, Chris Bishop signaling nothing much will change on Three Waters despite literally acres of billboards promising to repeal it? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see more and more of these walkbacks. And I, in some ways, I don't disagree with the idea that it, you probably need to take a fair bit of heat out of out of it before you do put anything to a referendum or, or do anything that's um, going to be interpreted as as being anti-Maori. There's plenty. Well, people are saying that could cause violence. I've been reading. yeah, that's and that's disgusting that they say that. Um, but I think that uh, we just we've been talking at cross purposes to each other for um, for six years at least probably longer but yeah no they're, they're talking about um chris bishop is basically as you know he's a likely minister of infrastructure has, has said that what does um, he know about infrastructure three-fifths of five-eighths so what the hell is he all. doing there he's just a boy from the hut yeah another one um, who worked in jerry brownlee's office okay that qualifies what to be the czar of infrastructure well, he's in a country cigarette. that's on its knees and going broke okay i've got it yep okay. well, i'll tell you what he knows about infrastructure I can remember back when the Backbencher TV program was on and I went uh, to one of the screenings at the pub and I was sitting at a table with Chris Bishop, uh, Jordan Williams and um, another uh, National Party factotum of Jerry Brownlee. All, you know, two of them worked in Jerry Brownlee's office and they were sitting there patting each other and slapping each other on the back of a job well done for the Christchurch rebuild. And I said, are you guys serious? I said, have a look at this, and brought up a, a news article of uh, the aftermath of Fukushima uh, and then the infrastructure that was repaired and replaced and fixed within the next six months in Japan. And I said, you're slapping yourself on the back a year later when we've still got potholes and pipes and everything broken, and this is what the Japanese had done. If I was in the Labour Party or working for the Labour Party, I'd have you guys on your knees in 10 seconds by comparing the two. And Chris Bishop looked across the table at me and arrogantly said, yeah, but you're not. And, uh, you know, we're onto it and we're great and we're going to fix all of this. Well, go and ask anybody in Christchurch how things are going now, what, 10 years later. Mm. Well, one of the central planks of, of the Three Waters was that it blew out how much councils could borrow. And I can't remember what the factor was, but it, it was a huge increase in the ability to take on debt. And I, I do have a nervous feeling about the National Party's, um, that, that a lot of their their great leaps forward are going to come from suckling up to that toilet paper money that Biden's been printing like, uh, like it's going out of fashion. And so it might make the the books look good. And I also do wonder whether, you know, they're all on board with the idea that if uh, we break the system through the weight of borrowing, we can build back better. The thing is, Marty, is that the National Party doesn't do great leaps forward. It never does. They are the party of the status quo. And what we're seeing here from Chris Bishop as he's walking their statements back faster than a French army. What we're seeing here is classic status quo politics. 
Oh, well, you know, the government passed all this in urgency in the last weeks of parliament before the election. We're sort of okay with it. There's a couple of minor tweaks that we'll do. We'll run it in a much more efficient manner, and it'll be okay. Trust us. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's what Chris Bishop is signalling here. He's the bellwether for the National Party. Remember, he's the one who who, uh, put it out there before the election that we could have a second election if the numbers didn't go right. He got held down on that. Uh, Luxon quickly walked that back. Uh, What Bishop is doing is signalling they're going to do not much and seeing what the pushback is from the general public, and then they'll focus group that and over the next couple of weeks, and then they'll come up with all of their lines on how they're not going to um, repeal like they promised to. Their billboard said they would repeal three waters. They're not going to repeal it, I'm telling you right now. So no change, essentially. Well, you That's don't right. vote national governments, as Cam said, for, for, for Sweden. Yeah, but people, no, but people, our fellow, fellow countrymen, I think, thought that they were changing things. Well, I don't know how many times I had to tell people on my show or or anywhere in, on my in my writing, I've always said this, the National Party is the party of the status quo. They never repeal anything. They just manage the decline a little better. So the decline is slower, but it's a decline nonetheless. Oh, dear. Marie, anything to say about, about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Bruce Cottrell touched on it on the weekend. Uh, he did a piece in the Herald called what more, um, what more Pay, Get Out and Hustle. And it's essentially echoing what Cam said in the sense that the minimum wage has gone up 44%. Every in, productivity go up 44%? Exactly. And no, it hasn't. And that's what he pointed out. He said the problem is, is this has created a, an economic cycle that's going to be very, very difficult to get out of. And the government, the new government coming in will be very, very reluctant to do anything that is going to, that will be needed to do to break that cycle. I think uh, the quote that he had is uh, the figures might above might get some, might go some way towards explaining why fighting inflation might be such a high priority for this country, but it's like a bushfire, easy to start and almost impossible to stop. And and that's where we're at now. We're in this cycle and there is already so much money that has been committed and spent into three waters. I think what they'll do is they'll soften it down by, I think they've already said they're going to take away the compulsion for councils, so it'll be an opt-in thing. Yeah, but and the I councils think- are all um, brainwashed as well. That, that's one thing we've learned from the interviews no, we've done. No, not all of them. Won't do it. Auckland won't do it. Why okay. would they do it? I mean, we've got, you know, um, Metro Water or whatever it's called in Auckland, Um they're doing actually not a bad job of replacing oh, infrastructure. Water care, yeah. yeah. Um, they're, they're replacing infrastructure. They're fixing things up. They're doing all the entity that Auckland would be in has got councils that have appalling uh, histories with infrastructure projects. And what it would mean is there'd be less money spent in Auckland and more money spent on those uh, organisations that have uh, you know not performed particularly well. And Aucklanders will be aggrieved with that and angry about it. And you know, if, if National thinks that they've won Auckland and they're going to hold it and then treat Aucklanders with uh, complete disregard, uh, then they'll just lose at the next election just as badly as they won. It, it seems to me that um, you know Luxon um, um, and and the others um, are 
They don't look like tough guys to me. And when you've got people threatening that there could be violence, if any of this is kind of <laughs> yeah. gone into in any way, uh, I mean, Chris Bishop, Luxon, those guys, they're going to chicken out. But, on that, but it's so they? childish, isn't it? I mean, uh, do you think they will? That they'll, they'll they'll cave. No, they'll one. cave. They're squishy. They're very squishy. You know, and um, whenever they're, they're confronted over anything, they're scared of being called a racist, even though it's not racist to discuss this or the treaty or or the, the segregation of the health system or anything that has been put in in the last six years. We need as a country to have brave conversations uh, about these issues, but every time it's raised, you'll get some boofhead, whether it's Willie Jackson or or some other um, you know agitator who says, well, you know, if you uh, if you want to take it this away and change this, uh, and bear in mind the things that we're talking about, we were never put to as a country. Nobody asked us if we wanted none of to it was mate. That, right, none of it, none right, of it. Right. But now it's in. There's these people that are saying, oh, you take that away, and there'll be there'll be violence. Well. well right? the, the- in the Post article, they did say there would be no co-governance, a subject that sparked rallies across the country from those opposed to the idea, but ownership of the infrastructure would still transfer to the new entities, Bishop said. That would allow the entities, which in Wellington would almost certainly be Wellington Water, to borrow money to fix leaky pipes. So what, what it allows them to do is section off the water system, borrow money, uh, which is then uses that system as a security, and if they can't pay it back, then your rates Black go up, or whoever ends up owning it, and then water gets more expensive. Well, that seems to me to have been maybe part of the plan, is uh, I, to sell off that. Yeah, eventually, always default to is this good for bankers? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you you look at all of the significant reforms that have been put into New Zealand in the last few decades. Let's start with Max Bradford's electricity reforms, right? That was supposed to make huge savings for us all, give us lower power bills, give economies of scale, uh, and all it did was uh, give the generation generating companies and the loans companies uh, carte blanche to charge whatever they want, and they do. Yeah. If you look at, at the amalgamation of Auckland of the three councils that were in Auckland that were an amalgamation of the previous, you know, county councils and district councils and and, sit, and little town councils, they were all merged into three cities. Then those three cities were merged into, into uh, you know, the super city under Rodney High's reforms. We were told that there would be less staff members in the new council, that there would be significant savings, that our rates would be able to go down. None of that has come true. In fact, there's now a third more staff in Auckland Council than there were in the three councils we had before that, right? Our rates have gone up, the debt has gone up, and that's that's all goes back to Michael Bassett's last hurrah in the Labour government between 84 and 1990. The last hurrah, we passed this legislation in 1989, am, um, amalgamating the councils, and at the same time, they slipped into that uh, legislation, what's called general competence, and that allowed councils in in their own right to borrow money directly, on the basis that because they levied rates, then any payments that were needed to service the debt 
could be levied against the ratepayers and therefore um, they allowed the councils to have general competence. And if you have a look at the debt levels of councils before 1989 and now after 1989, it's eye-watering. Horrific. It's It's horrific, right? Because the councils don't have general competence. What they have is general incompetence. And the the people who make the decisions to borrow this money are never there in 10 years' time. They're gone. Unless they take someone's taking their house because they can't afford their rates to pay for um, the debt. And Isn't in this some something parts that... of Auckland, the rates are at a level where it's actually the equivalent of rent a week. Yeah. yeah. So is Chrissy Bishop and Chrissy Luxon getting across this huge bubble of local body debt? I see Tauranga is now at $17,642 per rate payer. Debt. Um, Christchurch, 9300 Two million a week for the Dunedin City Council interest payments. I mean, this is, like you say, eye-watering stuff. The, the handbrake has to go on there, surely, quickly, now. Well, I mean, from what perspective? From the perspective of what's good for New Zealanders or what's good for the bankers? Paul, I hate to be a broken record. Well, good for New Zealanders. I think yeah. um, some sort of... Um, um, extreme austerity in local body finance needs to happen now. Well, no argument. I mean, I walk around our city and there are pipes leaking everywhere. It never used to be like that. No, because that because what happened? This is the thing, right? It's really interesting. There's a thing called depreciation. It's an accounting technique, right? And the idea behind depreciation is a business or or a council has assets. And those assets need to be replaced. And so you are given a provision, accounting-wise, to allow for the replacement of those assets over time. So you theoretically create this depreciation, which is supposedly putting money aside so you can replace all that. What councils have been doing for decades, uh, particularly since 1989, is not putting anything into infrastructure even though they're depreciating the assets. And Auckland City is a classic case where there's stormwater that still flows out uh, or sewage that still flows out into, you know, when it rains, uh, overflows into the stormwater system and out into the harbours. And Auckland Council deferred under successive uh, under successive mayors, including John Banks and Len Brown and everyone before or after them, uh, Phil Goff, they just deferred or they, they took that depreciation and allocated it to spend on wishful thinking projects and hobby horse projects and never replaced the infrastructure. And then it all collapses and they go, oh, there's a crisis now. Oh, we need to amalgamate all of the water assets and take them off the councils and we're going to borrow lots of money and we're going to fix it because if you don't do that, it's going to be much higher rates for you. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Well, we've got this uh, big convention centre in Wellington, new one, Takina. It looks really nice. It's huge. It's been blocking traffic ever since I've been here as they've been finishing it off. Do you think in this day and age now that convention centres are going off? It's had the Lego exhibition here since June, um, and that's all that there's been. Not that many people in Wellington to go and Hundreds of millions of bucks, and the pipes are freaking leaking. They could have got mm. the Labour Party in to look at that Lego um, convention to and build a house. teach them how to build a house. <laughs> Got a good deal on Lego.
but there's an example just down the road. Um, okay. Um, and I see that $1,000 of the average rates bill in Tauranga per year is to pay for the interest on their debt. Well, yeah. I saw Anne Tolly in a rather tone-deaf way say that the 900 and something thousand dollars that, that the uh, four uh, administrators were being paid for their part-time work running Tauranga was still less than paying a council. We're sort of missing the point of democracy and all that. Oh, yeah, there's just that little thing. A pesky little thing called democracy. But it's all right because the Maori Party doesn't believe in democracy. So, you know, we're all good. We don't need to have democracy. I'm still not 100% sure why they've suspended the council. As they said it was dysfunctional, but I often wonder whether it's because Tauranga is potentially um, a, well, it's probably the most conservative city in the North Island, I'd say. It's a strange little place, really. Yeah, I lived there I mean, in the 80s. It's not that little, um, Cam. No, no, it's growing. It used like to Topsy, be. But- but but honestly, it's so disjointed, and there's no cohesion to Tauranga, you know, as such. I mean, there's Mount Monganui, there's Tauranga, there's a main road which has got some shops that I'm not sure ever anybody ever goes to. Devonport Road. Uh, yeah. They seem to have more road cones in Tauranga than even Auckland, which is unbelievable. Uh, constant reworking of roads, bypasses. You know, if you've ever driven through that place, I mean, because nobody stops in Tauranga, right? You just drive through it. Um, I do it twice a year, uh, drive down the coast there, and it, it's it's a rabbit warren to actually try and navigate. You know, if it wasn't for GPS, we'd all be lost. Yeah, when when you see it at night, it, it looks like although the lights are a bit sparser, you think, man, that looks like a waterfront and a big city, but there's so little. And we'll have restaurants and actual... Well, there used to be, when I was there in the 80s, I was there 82 to 86, and it was quite a good nightlife there for a provincial city. I mean, I came here from Gisborne, it's like New York. But then all the pensioners moved in, and so there's no nightlife because everyone goes home at 6.30 to have dinner and go to bed. Yeah, but they all hung out down in the the suburbs, you know, Griot and Otomoto, places like that. So, yeah. But uh, but they're they're certainly paying through the nose. I think someone mentioned Maori Party just before, which gets me on to Willie Jackson. I think something you want to talk about, Marie, a block of Maori activism looming, and we kind of touched on it because there've been there's been you know suggestions that you screw around with this and there could be violence. But yeah, yeah, I mean they've they've implied this sort of violence. I mean at the end of the day, Te Party Maori are feeling emboldened, and they have been incredibly, I mean, incredibly vocal. And so Willie had initially thought that he was going to leave because, I mean, he was, you know, I think the self-appointed kaipokahire of the Labour Party. In terms Where else of can you earn 163 k a year for hardly doing Oh, that's starting. I'd say yeah, our we, Willie would be on much more than, well, no, much be back, more than that. He's he'd be got back on the back bench, though, won't he? He'd be back on the back bench. Oh, right, all the other stuff, yeah. yeah. Plus, the, plus his news agency, of course, yeah. Yeah. And he saw after um, Angry Little resigned, he he said, to be honest, I was thinking on the night when the results came in, it was my time, he said, Jackson. But I reflected and spoke to the whanau and the MPs from all the parties and decided to hang in there for a little while. And I, I don't know, I just, because Jackson and Tamahiri have always been quite tight. He'll and flip, right? He'll flip is what that he's sounds saying. Like, that sounds like a spill to me. 
That sounds like a Maori coup of the Labour Party. Mm, so I was going to ask you about this, Ken, because I just oh, okay. have this feeling, I don't know what it is, I just have this feeling that there is going to be a coalescing in terms of Māori caucus and it's going to not be in Labour. Well, just remember who the president of Te Party Māori is. Tamahiri. John Tamahiri. And they're old mates, aren't they? They old used mates. to have a radio show together, yeah, didn't they? Did. they? Mm. Right? Yeah. You, you can't the tell me that the Labour Party weren't tacitly approving of Te Party Māori winning those seats because... It gives them a bigger block. They still get all their Maori MPs in on the list, right? Like Willie Jackson, Pene Henere, uh, uh, Kelvin Davis, even if they lose their seats in the special votes. And there's, you know, a lot of confidence in, in Te Party Maori that they'll they'll win Titai Tokarau. And, def- and they think they're going to win Tamaki Makaurau as well. So I, I think that they have you know, rather cunningly work together while pretending to fight against each other. And I think there's some merit in what you're saying, Marie, that there is a, a Maori caucus that's trans-party across parties. Willie uh, Jackson's explicitly said that. He said, we, we, we have the same base, we have the same goals, we just go about it a bit differently. They're a bit yeah. more uh, head-on and we kind of, uh, uh, he didn't say sneaky, but that's the way I read it. But he, mm. but he is, he is a sneaky. And I, I just, see, the thing is, is I think that they, Willie has been talking to Tama and they've been turning around and, you know, they, they're using Te Pāti Māori as the attack dogs for a lot of this policy to take the heat off Labour while they were in office. And yeah. and now that they're both sitting on the crossbenches, what's stopping them? Well, the other thing too. The other thing too is they're only talking about the right kind of Maori, right? Oh, so if yeah. You, so if you're in the National Party or New Zealand First, you're the wrong kind of Maori. In fact, you're a plastic Maori. I think Willie Jackson loves calling them plastic Maoris. There was the best line in, in that article was he said he will use all his skills to ensure race based politics does not raise its ugly head as part of the national coalition. Oh, wait on. What's he done for the last six years? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, the irony was not lost on me, Cam. Mm. It will be, I just think that there's a lot more to come. I mean, you know, and Debbie, I mean, let's face it, I mean, you, you've got Debbie Nare, um, uh, Debbie Nare to pack her. She's turning around. And wanting to expel the Israeli ambassador, Narama Davidson, who is uh, a Palestinian hugger, we actually went uh, there and got herself uh, extradited from Israel after getting arrested on one of the boats. You know, these people are not pleasant. Yeah, it's I. I just ugh, I, I I feel a tantrum looming. Well, let, let it out, Marie. Let you it. You want out. to do it right, like, right now. <laughs> Oh yeah! Come on, let's see those the little stamping of the foot. Do one of those um, woke uh, tantrums, you know, that you see those people do, where they, they just scream, they cry from the heart, where they sort yeah. of go, oh, and they <laughs> throw their head back, and you know, makes great, you know, Twitter themes. Yeah, you can we're use not it. dealing with the uh, pussy hat uh, knitting faction here, Cam. <laughs> oh, well, maybe we could do different coloured pussy. We could put knit brown pussy hats. Right. Oh, Marie's cheeks are going hard. I think we should. Uh... She's the, shaking her head. She's shaking, shaking her head. It's the pursed lips. I think we're yeah, in for the death stare next. Yeah. No, it will be. Look, I've just been following um, 
what's been going on. I mean, Marty and I talked about it on Wednesday. You know, I look at this this girl, um, Hanamaipa Clark, and and I really do, I worry for her. I mean, I she's 21 years old. The the influence, I mean, she's. I just worry that she's going to be used as a little puppet. She's going to be rolled out as the mighty Greta Thunberg uh, for New Zealand. And she's. And you can't. You can never. You can never criticize them because they go, "Oh, the uh, see, there we go. Yeah. You're a bully. You know, cis white male bullying the Wahini Maori. Rah, rah, rah. And the Julius Mapera, uh, yeah. kill the boar, shoot, 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 hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It is just. Well, that I is mean, a tactic that's being used. You know, um, well, in well, other countries, look at um, the press secretary dear. of Biden. I mean, and, and who it was before. They're there because if you go too hard on them, looks yeah. like you're being a bully. Well, just speaking about her, this, the spokesperson for Biden, she was asked a question about the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States following the the, you know, the outbreak of the conflict. And she spent the next 10 minutes talking about how hard done by Muslims were. The question was about anti-Semitism. It was so tone deaf and so completely out of just out of well, it was out of left field because they are they're so far. Yes, but Cam, she's the first uh, press secretary female of colour and LGBT. So that you know trumps everything. It doesn't. You can't matter. question it. I'm you afraid. can't question it. She can say everything. And I, I thought just she was a person. I, so, so back to the I'm Labour Party because. Bad. Because Gary Moller came on this program just before the election and laid out how you can kind of go in and, is it white ant, or take over a party. Yeah. So could this happen to the Labour Party? I think it's happened. Happened already? Could could it happen? It has happened. I mean, that's where the Labour Party went from its traditional class-based, working-class-based socialist roots into an identity. So they've finished. Classic. They abandoned. They've abandoned. Abandoned working Kiwis. Mm. Right. They 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 went woke. They went down the identity politics uh, route. And they uh, like the money. And uh, and they went donkey deep into all of that. Almost all of their policies over the last six years have been deeply divisive, uh, with race at the core of almost all of them. And they're sitting there saying, "Oh, you know, uh, I don't know what happened." Well, what happened is the quiet Kiwi said we've had enough. Well, surely folks like Hipkins and Little and those guys know that this has happened. Well, well Little, well, little knows because he's gone. See you later. Yeah. All right. He did. He actually did the honourable thing. You know, it's not hard. It's not easy to say that about Andrew Little to say that he's done something honourable, but he did. They lost, and he did what Chris Hipkins should have done and resigned and gone. See you later. I've got something else to do. So that might inform us as to why they were so dogged with policies that weren't in any way popular, because they were being kind of frog-marched into it, some of them. Well, I blame Ardern for that. Her weakness as a person, her weakness as a leader, meant that instead of, you know, can you imagine Helen Clark doing this nonsense? I mean, we know what her position was when, uh, when the foreshore and seabed thing came up, right? She just stood firm and said, no, we're not doing that. Haters and wreckers. Mm. Haters and wreckers. You know, prophetic words, mm. really. Everyone mocked her at the time. But, She's you know, one of were... Ardern's supporters. So. Yeah, but but she had – that's the thing, right? I don't, do not like Helen Clark's politics, but I do admire her ability, A, to hold a fragmented Labour Party together that had multiple interests between LGBT 
you know, uh, groups, uh, Maori groups, uh, union groups, uh, you know, your urban liberal groups, um, and even some farmer types like Damien O'Connor and that. She held that all together when she was the leader. Uh, Ardu never held anything together. She did that by acquiescing to the people who stomped their feet the hardest or screamed the loudest. And that's not government. It, you know, it's an absence of government. She just disappeared, showed no leadership, and speaking, let the vision get into our society. Speaking of of that uh, and of her, uh, what about Winston's latest tweets in comms regarding the aftermath of the terrorist attack in Christchurch? Anyone want to make any comments? Anyone digested that? It's interesting because, like, there's some people out there saying, oh, no, everybody knew about this. Well, I didn't. And, and I took a deep interest in what was going on around that time uh, because of the impact on the firearms community. You know, we were blamed for this guy going postal, right? An Australian citizen who the, pol- it, the, the, the commission of inquiry clearly said the police failed us all on that. They didn't interview his referees properly. They didn't vet him properly. He was able to buy things, uh, you know. And, and ironically, there's there's no accountability for Jacinda Ardern on this, because the law changes. Yes, the law yes. changes that allowed him to buy the ammunition and all of that stuff via mail order were law changes that Jacinda Ardern put through the Parliament just six months earlier. Something doesn't feel right about all those things. Maybe don't want to go into that. But Winston's saying. We waited until today to find out for the first time that the Prime Minister's office received information about the March 15th terrorist attack before the massacre took place. Jacinda Ardern should be called to a hearing, asked to explain the supporting lack of transparency to the New Zealand public. This was a crisis event. The next question is, who else in Cabinet knew and said nothing? Well, I mean, you know, everyone's attacked Winston on this and said, you know, you're wrong and all of this. But even the coroner says this is the first he's heard of it. You know, in some of the mm. some of the reporting, so the, I think there are questions to be asked. Do we need I mean, to look into this again, actually? No, forensically really. to find out if all these weird things are connected in some way. The only thing that I thought was weird is that the police seem to magically, you know, by pure coincidence, have had a, an armed defenders squad training weekend uh, in. Christchurch at that time. And that's it's like in Auckland recently. Yes, and they managed to just, uh, you know, appear. Now, I think the the saddest thing of all is they arrested this guy and then prosecuted him. I mean, they should have actually just filled him full of holes uh, because otherwise you just get this going on and on and on for the natural life of, of Tarrant. And the guy's a scumbag, and, he, and he's caused so much harm in New Zealand society as a result. Yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, he's not even a Kiwi. You know, we, we should reverse 501 immediately and get rid of him out of here. It's not our problem. Anyone else have anything to say about that? Uh, not not anything uh, that wouldn't just be conjecture and, and paranoia. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, we're coming up against time. Um, has anyone had any anything that is relevant regards how these – um, discussions behind the scenes are going. Do we know 
anything more than we did on, well, the day after the election? I'd like to know whether or not, because generally it's tradition, if you were an appointee of a government, particularly to a foreign post, diplomatic post, often that you would relinquish that post. Mallard. Not in New Zealand, it's not. Goff. Mallard and Goff is what I'm wondering about. I mean, do you, I mean, look, this is me just throwing a silly idea out there. Um, It's not a silly idea. Do you you think that... um, you know, the some the, the he who was trespassed may uh, suggest that he might want to go duck shooting, maybe. Well, it's you know, it's it's not a, a tradition in New Zealand for the political appointees to resign uh, when a government changes hands. Well, can system. you fire them though? I mean, you know, you look at all the appointees. Mike Moore was appointed by a national government. Uh, usually, it's governments uh, wanting to get rid of a problem. Right, and the National Party famously did that with John Collins. They sent him off to London. Um, you know, there was all sorts of jokes about he thought that um, mahogany uh, was a, a marital status uh, when he was talking about the dining room table in the in the High Commission in London. But uh, you know, traditionally they've used it to get rid of problem uh, or, or former leaders or someone like that. They give them this political appointment. And, you know, I agree with Marie, perhaps they should be resigning, um, but it's not a tradition that has happened in New Zealand. In the United States, all appointments are political appointments. You lose the election, the people who uh, were in those political appointments all resign uh, and then they replace them. And I think there's some merit in that, although there is an argument to say that you lose, particularly if they're career diplomats or something like that, you lose that intellectual property. That yeah, but not with these guys. Yeah, I was just going to say intellectual pro- property with yeah. Goth and, and Mallard. Yeah, not with Goth, not with Goth, not with Goth, not with Anik King, not with Mallard, not with any of them, right? They should just be gone. And if they had any integrity, uh, they would resign, and they won't because they don't have integrity. So, you know, it's something that should happen. Um, I do know that Christopher Luxon has spoken with Winston Peters. Uh, they spoke on the weekend, uh, but everyone's just waiting for the special votes to see what the lay of the land is. Yeah. And, oh, oh, sorry. No, Go sorry. And in in like the sort of conjecture too that Labor may not put a candidate up in Port Waikato. And I mean, do you think that they'll just let that roll safely uh, to national? They have. They, they're not going to put um, a yeah, candidate yeah, up. That's right. Um, mm. The bottom line there is if you look at the donations uh, register, Labor got almost no donations uh, in the last year, tiny, tiny amount. Uh, they would have spent it all uh, on the election. So to actually have 50 grand in the bank to run a a uh, by-election campaign, it's, it's not going not gonna to happen. That's why they said they weren't going to. ACT didn't even bother replacing their candidate. So it's actually a, a, a you know New Zealand first national runoff uh, in Port Waikato. And I hope, I I hope Casey, Casey Costello really just gives them the, you know, goes for the doctor on that. I talked to her on Wednesday and she sounded very motivated. Oh, yes, she yeah, is. Listen, that was a good interview. Gosh, she's a, she's a good woman, isn't she? I, I, I can't wait to see her as Minister of Maori safe Affairs. Pair of, safe pair of hands is my my feeling. Yeah. Um, Comp- competent. I, competent. Well, yeah, kind of what I mean. Okay, That's let's finish up cool. on this because um, we need to get this in because I've had uh, Lee Short from Democracy Action on here before talking about this, and it seems now that the um, race-based seats at Auckland Council will not go ahead. Well, only temporarily. It's oh. a decision to not have them for the next local body elections in 2025. So 
yeah, there was a vote uh, held by uh, Auckland Council on uh, well yesterday, and uh, the vote was eleven uh, votes against and nine votes in favour, and the mayor abstained. Uh, but right. they've decided that uh, no, we're not going to have uh, Maori wards or Maori seats at the next local body elections. And you know, I, I'm my personal view on this is that this is something that is constitutional and therefore should be put to the vote, voters of Auckland. It right. shouldn't shouldn't be a decision by a bunch of uh, elected people. Uh, on a bare majority, I, I, I absolutely think that this should be uh, too much uh, at stake, right? Yeah, that's right. Put it to everybody. If, you're, if violence, your argument though. is cogent and sensible and smart, you'll win the referendum. If it's not, you won't. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Waikato did the same as well. Well, they're reading the room, aren't they? Because mm. the government's changed, and this and this woke agenda is is supposedly finished. So maybe the, these councils are, are reading the room. Well, the Wayne, Wayne Brown said um, it, it was quite clear that it, there wasn't an absolutely clear consensus view from iwi Māori or the wider public. And I think, you know, we've had six years of uh, a group of people emphasising the differences between Māori and non-Māori rather than consensus building. So I think we should probably do some consensus building before we do much more treating each other as separate species. I mean, yeah. you had you had one uh, ward councillor, Karen Leone, who who supported uh, having Maori wards, and she said it's a really sad day for Maori in Tamaki Makara. Well, that's okay, uh, ward councillor Karen Leone, um, but actually, it's Auckland Council that uh, that voted on this, not Tamaki Makara. Yeah. All right. I think we've covered quite a bit in our political panel for this Friday morning. Thanks to Marty Gibson, Marie Buskey, and Cam Slater for being here. You're most welcome. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.